from around the world. This is the Mutual Audio Network. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallweg, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The following audio drama is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the all-new Mutual Audio Network. Taken from the pages of magazines your grandfather used to hide from your grandmother, this is Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. This is a tale of the Old West, in a little town called Mojave Wells, not too far from the Roadrunner Valley, in a fictitious part of the Old West, where all the best stories take place, of course. Our story is called By Order of Buck Brady, and was penned by W.C. Tuttle. It appeared in the July 1928 issue of Adventure magazine. I suppose one could claim that the Old West wasn't very old at all when this story first came out. The saga begins when Ben Dolan, a cowboy, rides into town with a message for the sheriff, our Buck Brady of the title. Ben's our storyteller for tonight, so we'll let loose of his reins and let him get along with his tail. Buck Brady was always whittling. Thin shavings were what you might call an obsession with Buck. I've seen him sit for hours, tilted back in a broken chair against the shady side of his office, knees almost touching his chin, and his long, thin face set serious over the task of reducing a soft piece of pine to a pile of shavings. Buck was the sheriff of Mojave Wells, and Mojave Wells was a heat-scoured, sand-washed little town in Roadrunner Valley. The town was invisible from a distance, because even the painted signs on the local businesses had been sandblasted until they were unreadable. It was the end of the roundup in Roadrunner Valley, and Buck knew that before nightfall, the town would be filled with thirsty cowboys, pockets lined with money, and when Whiskey met Cowboy, there might be plenty of work for him. I was the first of the cowboys to arrive. I'm Ben Dolan, and I rode in on a weary roan. 
Instead of heading straight for the saloon, I dismounted at the sheriff's office, dropped my reins in the dirt, and sat down beside Buck Brady. How are you, Buck? Pretty good. What you know, Ben? Not much. In kinda early, ain't you? Yeah. Had a reason to come in early, Buck. Some of the boys said it wouldn't do no good, but I thought I'd tell you how it was. Long about an hour from now, Bud Hickman's gonna ride in. He'll have his gang with him, and they'll imbibe real freely. Maybe long about that same time, Pete Astro will ride in with his gang. They'll also imbibe freely, and some of them will likely get kind of drunk. Them boys are all thirsty, you know. I expect it'll be kind of wooly around here tonight, Buck. Uh-huh. Buck cut a particularly long shaving, looked at it critically, and nodded with satisfaction. You sure rode in early to explain all this to me. If you're all through, you might tell me the rest. It's this way. You know what a feud is, Buck? Yeah. Well, that's what she amounts to right now. And it's all over a dang girl. I'm glad there's a reason, Ben. Mostly all of them feuds starts over nothing. Go ahead and tell me the details. Rosie Smith. Huh? That's what I said. You know how Bud and Pete kind of shined around her a month ago? I don't guess she knowed which one to pick. Of course, Bud thinks it's him, and Pete thinks he's the one. And there you are. It's been kind of aching both of them, I reckon. Anyway, Chuck Lester makes a remark the other night that he supposed Bud wouldn't be with us in Mojave Wells at the finish of the roundup because he'd stop along a picket fence before he'd reach the main street and head straight through the gate. Pete was there, and I reckon it hit him in a sore spot, because he chips in with a remark, which didn't sit well with Bud. There wasn't much said, but it took all of us to take their guns away. We didn't want no killing in camp. Now, Bud was reasonable. He says to Pete, We'll settle this in Mojave Wells. Pete was agreeable. He says, that suits me. We'll make a truce until sundown, both agreeing to keep away from Rosie. When that sun goes down, all truce is off, and we shoot on sight. Buck sliced another shaving, laid the stick aside, and began wetting the blade on the counter of his left boot. It's kind of hard to get straight grain stuff these days. I remember when I was running a trading post down Yuma Way. I used to get the best dang boxwood for Whitland. I don't suppose it runs so good these days. Ben and Pete are both friends of yours. Uh-huh. I like them both. A killing might start trouble. The boys have kind of took sides. I suppose. Bud and Pete are both good shots. Yeah, pretty good shots. Awful damn fools in lots of ways, but good shots. Uh-huh. Well, I've got some work to do, Ben. I'll be seeing you. I just thought you'd like to know about it, Sheriff. Yeah, I do. Thank you kindly. You're welcome. We didn't say any more after that, because some more cowboys came racing in, their horses covered with lather and dust. The Sheriff and I watched the first contingent arrive. It was Bud Hickman and his gang from the Tumbling Cave. Bud was a likable hombre, about 25 years of age, tall and lean, 
Brown is an Indian with curly black hair and a white-toothed smile. His crew was a wild-riding lot of hard-bitted punchers, ready for either fun or fight at a moment's notice. They seemed to realize that Pete Asher and his J-88 boys hadn't arrived yet, so they all headed over to the Desert Well Saloon, the biggest one in Mojave Wells. I looked over at Buck Brady and saw him cogitating deeply. Buck had been sheriff for this county for nearly two terms, which meant that he was pretty much of a man. Without a word, he turned back into his office, and I rode off up the street to the nearest saloon. It was two hours till sundown. Pete Asher and his J-88 crew rode in next and holed up at the Prospect Saloon. Pete was about the same age as Bud Hickman, but built more stocky, and his face had a harder edge. His hair was kind of neutral color, his eyes deep set in blue. The crew from the Tumbling K and the one from J-88 were about the same size and makeup. It would be hard to choose which gang was the better one. Over at the desert well, Bud and his men were up at the bar when the sheriff came in, and they greeted him noisily. Buck was carrying the end from a wooden soapbox and a hammer, and without any leave from the proprietor, he proceeded to nail his sign to one of the walls. Bud strolled over to the sheriff with a curious grin on his face. Hey, what's that sign say? From now on, every man must turn his gun over to my uh, office until he is ready to leave town by order of Buck Brady. Huh? You trying to kid somebody, Buck? I ain't in the habit of kidding anybody, am I, bud? Kinda sudden, ain't you? No, I've been thinking this out quite a while. Is this the idea? We all turn our guns over to you, and you turn them back when we're ready to leave town? That's what the sign says, bud. And I wrote the sign. <laughs> it's alright, boys. Shuck your guns. I reckon we can stand it if the others can. But, Sheriff, you might have some trouble with Pete and his gang. I hope they'll be reasonable. Thanks, fellas. You'll have to remember your own guns, boys. See you later. I reckon I'll be able to spot mine. I made them handles. The Sheriff carried the guns back to his office and locked them in his desk. Then he went over to the Prospect Saloon, where he nailed up his other notice. I suppose this thing only applies to me and my men, huh? You're supposing wrong, Pete. I've already collected from the Tumbling K. You've collected from Bud Hickman? Why not? Oh, I just wondered. But suppose we don't give you our guns. I've always liked you, Pete Asher. You've been a damn fool in lots of ways, but you're just human like the rest of us. I've posted my notice, and I wrote it myself. But just suppose we refuse to give up our guns. Then that 
would be just too damn bad. Oh, and if I should happen to want to leave town, you'd give me back my gun? Just like the sign says, Pete. All right, here's mine. Take them off, boys. We don't need them now. The sheriff looked over the guns as he deposited them around his person, in his gun belt, in his pockets, and walked out, swinging the hammer in his hand. <laughs> don't that beat hell? I betcha somebody told him something. I don't like the idea of some son of a moth-eating old sidewinder taking my gun away. We'd have had some fun if we'd have refused. You're not long in these parts, or you'd have a different idea of fun. That son of a moth-eating old sidewinder is just 32 years old. And if we hadn't turned them guns over to him, he'd have just about ruined the whole gang of us with his pet Winchester. When you see, by order of Buck Brady, on the bottom part of a sign, you'd better read the upper part of it and act accordingly. <laughs> You're listening to Pulpourri Theater and the Narada Radio Company's presentation of W.C. Tuttle's By Order of Buck Brady. We'll be back with Act Two of our play in just a moment. This episode of Pulpourri Theater is brought to you by the Bacon Mythology Board, dedicated to eliminating ridiculous health claims about bacon. For example, has your physician advised you to reduce your bacon intake due to high cholesterol? This is your old pal Phil Boyd Studge, one of the members of the Narada Radio Company. I've been asked to remind you that Pulpery Theater's first season will consist of 12 episodes, each from a different pulp genre. Be sure to tune in to each of them and either stream or download them for free. And please note that each episode page has a spot at the bottom where you can leave a review to let us know how we're doing. Stay tuned. We'll return to our adventure after this next message. Single men, are you tired of dating services that promise you the perfect mate only to find that you actually have to go out on inconvenient dates with her? Are you paralyzed by the mere thought of speaking to a woman? Does the relatively simple act of choosing which socks to wear on a night out fill you with suicidal thoughts? Well, Sonny, put that gun down and let's talk about the new DVD Wife of the Month Club. The DVD Wife of the Month Club is your modern way of finding out what it's like to be married or just in a relationship without all the expensive rigmarole of dating and courtship, not to mention a budget-breaking wedding ceremony and honeymoon. With the DVD Wife of the Month Club, you'll get a different personality type every 30 days to sample at your leisure. Your DVD wife may be an enabler or codependent or a shrew. She may bug you to get off the couch and get a job, or she may bring you breakfast in bed every morning. The choices are nearly endless, and they're all viewable from the convenience of your DVD player and big screen television. 
but we don't want you to enroll in the DVD Wife of the Month Club on our say-so alone. Just listen to these heartfelt, unsolicited testimonials from some of our happy customers who have enjoyed the benefits of this service. A Mr. LG from Sandusky, Ohio writes, I was eager my whole adult life to move out and get married and start a family of my own. My mother bought me a subscription to the DVD Wife of the Month Club, and now I'm so frightened of women that I'll never leave home. Mother couldn't be happier. And a Mr. B.O. from Washington, D.C. says, I used to be afraid that any woman I'd marry would yell at me for playing video games for hours and hours. But whenever my DVD wife yells at me, all I have to do is turn off the TV. I can't thank you enough for this wonderful service. To find out more about the DVD Wife of the Month Club, simply go online to our website and fill out our short psychological profile questionnaire, and we'll rush you our enrollment information to peruse at your convenience. Take advantage of our services now and get a bonus DVD of mother-in-law footage. DVD Wife of the Month Club. We only want you to be happy. Also available in Blu-ray. Let's return to the Old West, where the Cowboys and the Sheriff are anxiously awaiting sundown in Mojave Wells. Ben Dolan takes up the story again. All the Cowboys went back to the drinking and forgot about the Sheriff, but both Bud and Pete kept track of the sun. I got myself a nice skinful of hooch and wandered over to the sheriff's office and squatted on my heels next to Buck Brady, who was humped in his chair again, gone back to his whittling. I didn't consider myself a sentimental feller in them days, but I liked Bud and Pete well enough that I hated to see either one of them wounded or killed, and I knew in my bones that both men would come claim their guns at sundown. You sure collected a lot of guns, Sheriff. Yeah. There's Bud Hickman. Why, well, he just came out of the saloon, looked up at the sky, and went back in. It's getting on to sundown. The boys are getting nervous. I notice. I watched several cowboys now standing out in front of the prospect, milling about, killing time. A few of Bud's gang came out of the desert well and tried to look like they were waiting for something. They had been drinking for a while now, so their acting skills were none too good. I pulled out my bandana and wiped my forehead. It's kind of sultry, ain't it? My words had no effect on Buck, who only nodded and looked at the sun, which was only half visible now. He blinked from the strong light and cut several shavings, which didn't suit him at all. Our attention was drawn by a couple of fat town dogs, lifelong friends, but who now met in the middle of the street and circled each other ominously, growling as they each looked for an opening. Sick him, boy! Take him, Tag. Shake his fleas loose. Four <laughs> bets on the other one! You done made your bet, party. Choose him, Ponto. I guess them dogs ain't gonna fight after all, Buck. Look, they're just going their separate ways. Maybe they're waiting for the sun to go down. Huh. 
Got more sense than men have. The sun was down. Only the tip was visible, and the crest of the broken hill showed a golden highlight. It was very still in Mojave Wells. The shadows were gone now, and the street was quickly fading from gold to blue, and full darkness was coming on fast. Hi, bud. That you too, Pete? Yep. I'm pulling out, Buck. Would you mind handing me my gun? Buck stopped whittling, tilted forward in his chair, and got slowly to his feet. He looked closely at Bud, but didn't say nothing as he turned and went into the office. Pete moved in closer, but he and Bud ignored each other. I just stood there, leaning against the wall. Okay, here you go. I reckon you're pulling out too, ain't you, Pete? Now, Buck knew it, and I knew it, and everybody else in town knew it, that neither Bud nor Pete was actually going to pull out of town. Pete nodded at Buck and reached his hand out for his gun, and both men swung into their saddles and headed off down the street in opposite directions. God almighty, this ain't right. Both of those fellows are good pistol shots, and there's going to be a funeral around here. Maybe two. Why don't you stop it, Buck? Look at Bud. He's turning. You didn't expect he'd run away, did you? Bud and Pete were on their mounts, about 200 feet apart, facing each other. They were playing a square game, and there was no advantage now. 200 feet is a long shot. They both had drawn their guns. My hands were gripping the wall beside me. I'd seen gunfights before, but they'd all been unpremeditated affairs. This one was too much like an execution. The groups of cowboys on either side of the street were as still as wax dummies. Even the horses at the hitch racks had stopped moving. Bud and Pete were slowly closing the gap between them, each waiting for the other to make the first move with the gun. A hundred feet. Ninety. Eighty. Either of them could hit a soup can at that distance. Horses moving slowly. Seventy feet. Twenty yards now. They were almost in front of the sheriff's office. <laughs> It's gonna be a double funeral, Buck. I've seen Bud shoot a prairie dog's head off at this distance. It's a nice evening for it. And then it happened. Both guns came up exactly at the same instant. I snapped my eyes shut and turned my head aside, waiting for the explosion of two revolvers. But there only came one tiny ping. Hardly louder than a mere snapping of a revolver's hammer. Then another. And another. My eyes jerked open. The two riders were thirty feet apart, leaning forward in their saddles. Not a single shot had been fired. What the hell? Look at my cartridges. Every single primer's been dented. Looks like some no-good cuss has been at my bullets with a pair of pliers. Mine too, dammit. But it won't take me long to reload. Stop right there, Pete. Damn you, Buck. You pulled the powder on my shells. Yeah, and I'll pull something else out of you too can make one more move. Come here, bud. That was some dirty dealing, Buck. You hadn't ought to do that. Well, you boys hadn't ought to fight. Both of you going off kind of half-cocked, as you might say. As Buck was bringing the two men together, the cowboys from both outfits had moved in closer, trying to understand what it was all about. The rivalry all but forgotten in this strange turn of events. I pulled them bullets, I'll admit it. 
I don't reckon either of you showed any yeller streak. You played the game square, and I like you both for it. Kinda enjoyed it, tell you the truth. It was kinda like watching a show, but I was the only one that knowed how it would turn out. Was it any of your damn business how it turned out? In a way it was, Pete. Barring my friendship with both of you and my position as sheriff, it still was my business in a way. Now, you two boys was aiming to kill each other over a woman. Yeah, Ben told me about it, and you might thank the man instead of glaring at him. Ben likes both of you, and he didn't want to see no killing done. I don't think for a minute that this Smith girl would care to have you killing each other over her. Most girls don't. Anyway, it was a sucker idea. He was trying to kill each other for nothing. Sucker idea? What do you mean a sucker idea? Well, there ain't no Smith girl around here no more. The Smiths are still in town. They ain't moved away. If you hadn't had so much killing on your mind, boys, you might have found out that the Smith girl got married over a week ago. Now you boys best go back and have your spree, and I'll see you later. The Smith girl got married? Who to? Yeah, who to? Well, to me. I'll see ya. I got work to do. Whittling. Looking for something to whittle on. You have been listening to, by order of Buck Brady, the third episode of Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast, in order of appearance, Andreas Elizondo II as Ben Dolan, Dana Gonzalez as Buck Brady, Austin Hanna as Bud Hickman, Matthew Willoughby as Pete Asher, and Kian Lutz, Larry Hutchison, John Valadez, and Micah Blaine as the Cowboys. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. By Order of Buck Brady was originally published as a short story by W.C. Tuttle and appeared in the July 1928 issue of Adventure Magazine. It was adapted by Pete Lutz, who also directed and produced this program. Tune in again next time for another thrilling episode of Pulpery Theater. The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creator and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulpourri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. 
This has been a 63 Audio production. Sixty-three audio.